games, card games, uh, forever. I mean, as a little kid, I mean, I watched my adult family members play card games and board games, and, and then I was forced into it. And then you grow into liking it and liking the battle of the board game, whether yep. it's whether it's uh, uh, aggravation or uh, uh, <laughs> Monopoly or Othello or Backgammon, which I haven't played in a while, by the way. But uh, I wanted to talk to Ian Livingstone who uh, has a new book out, um, Board Games in 100 Moves, 8,000 Years of Play. Ian, welcome to Chewing the Fat. How are you today, sir? I'm great, thank you. Um, looking forward to my next board game. <laughs> <laughs> so, what first, what prompted you to look into you know, 8,000 years of play? That is just fascinating. Well, I thought after 8,000 years, it's time somebody told a story. Right? Amen. Um, <laughs> so I've been in games my whole life. As a, a, At school, I played lots of games of Monopoly and played chess for the school. Yeah. Came a collector of games, a designer of games. And my first company was a games company, a company called Games Workshop. We launched Dungeons & Dragons in the UK back in the 1970s. Yeah. Gary Guy gets the inventor, became a good friend of mine. And uh, we had the European distribution rights. So I was totally immersed in games. I've got over a thousand board games at home. I run a games group. I've been doing it since the 1980s. And I think games kind of help define us of who we are as human beings. And, you know, there's a lot to like about them. Yeah, for sure. Friends or family around the table, having a lot of fun, doing deals, stabbing people in the back and laughing about it as you renege on the deals, trying to get that edge. It's a battle of wits. <laughs> and it's just very light-hearted entertainment. And in this digital world in which we find ourselves immersed, it's nice to have a bit of physical entertainment as well as digital entertainment. I think the same can be said for vinyl records and, and physical books. It's, uh, it's nice to have a bit of a balance there. It's also a way to, you know, to actually get to know people. I mean, when you talk about uh, family members, which, you know, I mean, if you were raised with playing games, you know that, uh, you know, family members and, you know, Uncle Hank is the guy that cheats and, uh, you know, Aunt... <laughs> Aunt, Aunt Marilyn, is she always, uh, you know, always forgets a rule. And, you know, I mean, we, we, we've all lived through that, but it's also a good way to get to know people if you have, uh, uh, you know, if you uh, have a, a, some, any kind of small party and you don't know the people, you can play a game and you get pretty familiar with people pretty fast while you play a game. Yeah, their, their personality really comes out very fast. Yes, it does. So if you're having, in, in polite conversation, you don't un always understand or know what that person is, but if they play a game... The mask comes off. So, you, I'm looking through your book. Your eight thousand years of play. What did you find as that was the you know one of the earliest games that people you know brought to the you know brought to their living quarters? Well, the earliest known game was was um, was came out five thousand years ago. It was called Senate. It was a simple race game with abstract pieces. Pretty boring, actually. 
but um, nevertheless the game of the time and it was enjoyed by everyone living in the Middle East, particularly Egypt. Tutankhamun was a big fan of the game and when he passed away he had four copies interned with him in his tomb. Wow. Um, which were found when the tomb was opened in the 1900s. So, again, it just shows that games is not an, a new phenomenon. It's a, a, a part of human culture that's lived with us forever. So I was fascinated to read that uh, a game that I was forced to play because uh, my aunt was uh, in charge of uh, the state library, and uh, so we had to read and we had to know words, was the game Scrabble. And I was fascinated to read that yeah. that game almost didn't exist, right? I mean, it, it, it took a while for that game to actually take off. Yeah, it was invented by this guy called Alfred Butts, who called it crisscross words. And he was an unemployed architect, and um, he made his own copies and really struggled to find a, a market for, the, for his game. And he thought he should revise it, so he changed the quantity of the, the letters, so he put more E's in and less J's, for example trying to get the right balance and right. He, he finally gave up and he, he sold the rights to a guy called James Bruno who changed the name to Scrabble um, also without success having made his own sets um, but oh. luckily uh, the chairman of Macy's had bought a copy who liked it so much he ordered two and a half thousand sets for Macy's and wow. uh, they sold out pretty quickly, and um, James couldn't keep up with the demand, so he sold the rights to Cell Show and Richter, and they probably sold two million copies, making him a very rich man, yeah, no kidding. unlike uh, Alfred Butts. <laughs> no kidding. So, uh, you know, these things can, can be in the balance whether they're going to be hits or not. So in today's world, uh, with, uh, with, you know, our, with our phones and our, and our tablets, and we have so many uh, games that uh, you know, are used through uh, the applications on our phone that are, you know, we're playing them against the phone, uh, you know, against the computer. Yeah. Um, how difficult is it to create a board game and then actually make it happen and get it out to the public? Well, uh, ironically, because of the internet, game, board games are being made in much greater numbers because of the internet. Wow, great. Um, the biggest factor, I'd say, uh, is the fact crowdfunding platforms like Kickstarter enable anybody to design a game and pre-sell it, selling it to a global audience through the platform. Right. If they get the funding, then they can ship that game. And if it's popular, then it might go into manufacturing with a traditional publisher. Then you can also get review scores online. You can see tutorials online. And, of course, e-commerce allows you to buy games through Amazon, etc. Sure. Anywhere in the world. It doesn't matter where you live. So this infrastructure has now enabled a lot more games to actually come to market. So, in your book, what is your favorite game? I mean, you've t you talked about you've got uh, you know a thousand games at the house, and uh, you know you've played all these games, and you've been uh, you know you've been a creator and a marketer and a player. What's your favorite game that's in the book that you wish more people would play? Well, that is a, a terrible question. That's a bit like asking <laughs> my favorite child, and I've got four of them. Well, who, well, first of all, let's let's find out. We'll find out who your favorite child is. I mean, it's just between you and me. Nobody else will hear it. Yeah, yeah. My, your, my secret's safe with you and the internet, right? Um, 
So getting back to games, yeah. I think I'd have to give four kids, I'll give four games, I guess. So I think from a classic point of view and a pure admiration for the game itself, it has to be chess, although I don't play it very much anymore. Um, Dungeon Dragons, because it, you know, it's so much part of my life in the 70s and knowing yeah. Gygax and everything. Um, and then of the modern day games, I like um, Ticket to Ride. And um, I don't ever played that. What else? That's from Alan Moon, uh, also resides in the U.S. Uh, I really like um, Splendor now and then. It's very difficult. I could go on for about four hours saying, which is my favorite game. <laughs> I mean, there's hundreds as well I don't like at all. But um, All right, well, what's, 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 the game, what's the game that you dislike the most? Uh, I don't know which of the dis ones I like. Yeah, you know, you, you know which kid you don't like, so just tell me what game you don't like. You know what it is, Ian. <laughs> Let's get on to the good stuff. I mean, the hundred games in the book are not all ones I like a lot, but they have to be there because they're kind of historically important. Okay. Um, I mean, there are obviously a lot that I do like, but the some are just there because they're kind of a milestone in gaming history. I mean, they like the Royal Game of Goose, beautiful full-color page you see in the book, beautiful ball from Victorian times, absolutely boring as hell to play. It's just moving... <laughs> Rolling in the dice and moving your piece around this this lovely but ultimate right. boring game, and a lot of the Victorian games you know, played in the eighteen hundreds were just simply that nothing but moving a piece because of the roll of dice. So they were hundred percent luck, and so things only changed in the nineteen hundreds, um, really because of um, you can bring that back to Elizabeth, Elizabeth McGee, who had invented this game called the, the Landlord's Game in 1903. Right, and, that, that uh, turns into Monopoly. didn't make much money. Right, that, that, that yeah, game turned she into didn't, Monopoly. She right. didn't gain from that, unfortunately. Right. She made it and failed, but Charles Darrow, uh, an engineer, had seen a copy of, of the Landlord's Game and made his own version and changed it quite a bit and called his version Monopoly, which yeah, was the Parker Brothers and became a millionaire off it. But Without the landlord's game, he would not have created Monopoly. I, we were just talking about that because Monopoly went, uh, you know, created the Ms. Monopoly uh, off of the main uh, board, and we were just talking about. I, I wasn't aware that of the landlord's game except for you know, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it uh, it was fascinating that uh, you know someone created this game. And you're right, uh, the the actual game that we all, you know, that that I grew up loving to play would have never happened without the without the landlord's game. But that's. Exactly. But that's true with a lot of with that, a lot of derivatives, right? And that's true with with your hundred games in the book, right? I mean, really, the the boring goose game brought games that we all love, but it was you know you had to yeah. start somewhere. Yeah, but the, the landlord's game and Monopoly had certain squares that were virtually identical and the same way of playing. Um, There's a strong overlap there, but you know that's life, I guess. So we're talking to uh, Ian Livingstone, who is uh, the author of uh, Board Games in 100 Moves, 8,000 Years of Play. And uh, I'm fascinated that uh, I was, I'm really surprised to learn that because of the Internet, uh, board games have uh, actually grown and become more and more because we hear so much about, uh, you know, the disconnect between, uh, you know, adults and, and children and family and friends. Yet board games bring us all together. So it seems almost counterintuitive. Yes, and, 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 and despite the fact that a lot of retail has disappeared, traditional game shops disappeared, but because of this online world now, yeah. commerce 
and community, board games are flourishing. And the fact that they can be funded through the internet too. So long may that continue. So your favorite, really, your favorite games that you like to play are the role-playing ones, so it's less boring, right? I mean, I'm, I'm well, kind of... I don't I'm, play role-playing so much these days. I mean, it's just, again, for a very personal thing for me, Dean, the whole D&D thing. Um, yeah, we don't really play D&D anymore, but it was a big part of my life. What, uh, what, with, your, with your favorite child, what was your favorite child's name again? Don't have a favorite. You might recall. I just, I was just, I just, I, just got, I forgot your favorite child's name off the top. I wanted to get it off the top of my head. What yeah. uh, I was thinking. What, what game do you play with your children now? Is there, is there a game that you get together and you think, oh, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna play this tonight? Yeah, we play Ticket to Ride. That's a good family favorite. It's um, a railway game. Uh, we're building networks of, of railway roads and um, having to deliver passengers from one town to another. I mean, it's not too heavy, uh, but it still requires thoughts and planning. Right. So it's a, it's a good introductory game that has some depth to it. But yeah. the purest games, um, if you have to go back to you know, thousands of years, like the game of Go um, from, from Asia, that is the, probably the purest game on the planet. It's, there's only two types of pieces. One person has the white stones, the other person has the black stones. There's a 19 by 19 grid. And you place a stone with the object of fencing off the most area, and so you're trying to surround the other players or trying to cordon off bits of the board. So that's all, I mean that's already in, in two seconds, but it takes a lifetime to understand the complexity because of the number of combinations possible. So that's the beginning. I mean, that's the kind of Othello, right? I mean, that's the game that I grew up playing with was Othello. That's kind of the same thing, right? It's, it's yeah, it's a kind of I wouldn't say dumbed down, but it's a a much more accessible version. Of it. Right, 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 right. Where you try, you know, you're trying to gain as much uh, ground from the other stones as you can. Uh, fascinating. Yeah, I, I, I mean, Ludo was a, a derivative of a, a, a much co- more complex game called Pochisi. So, oh, yeah, yeah no, there's no, there's nothing. I guess is original these days. But um, what what prompted? Okay, so now, okay, so aside from the the board games with uh, card games. Uh, you know, you have a, a deck of cards. When did when did cards become so prominent? That, that that's kind of uh, I mean, it's the it's not a board game, but they became pretty prominent, and so did a lot of card games. Yeah, again, card games go back a long time from the around about the thirteen hundreds and to to present day, and of course these days, it's, you know, the Texas Hold'em is a yeah. huge card game, yeah. but. But as a more for for the board game type, I mean these collectible card games, the deck building games like Magic the Gathering, has, has become a phenomenal success. Um, yeah, Magic the Gathering actually uh, is on the is on a, has a chance to join the uh, Toy Hall of Fame this year uh, in New York. It's up for I'm not uh, that's right. I know. Thank yeah. you. Uh, it's, it's the collectability of the game, the the number of combinations of combining different cards together to try and beat your opponent and of course the rarity value some of these cards were really really rare and become you know, worth thousands of dollars themselves like the black lotus card for example worth several thousand dollars if you could find one wow i'm gonna to have to go back and look at my box full of games ian livingstone uh <laughs> author of a board games in 100 moves 8,000 years of play ian thank you very much for joining us i appreciate it sir Thank you very much. Go Pete. play a game, Great. and I promise—I promise—I uh, won't tell your family uh, who you said was your favorite kid. 
Seriously, I love games. Thank you uh, for enjoying that interview. I, there's not a game I don't really love at some point. You can make anything into a game. I remember one time, I mean, I, I may have even told the story before where uh, my oldest son and I, I was outside one Sunday and we took the trash out and I had a golf club in my hand and I took the, a basketball and I just, you know, tried to put the basketball into the trash can with the golf club. We ended up spending the entire afternoon seeing how many times we could do that. We started going down to the neighbor's trash cans down the street, trying to hit the ball. Just, I, I love games. It's amazing. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to uh, Chewing the Fat. Thank you so much for listening to a Saturday edition. Uh, subscribe to Chewing the Fat. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. Tell everyone you know, hey, you listen to Chewing the Fat? No? Why not? So uh, you can subscribe. It's free. Duh. And you can get it wherever you get any kind of podcast, wherever you ought to listen, duh. It's really good. So be sure to subscribe to uh, Chewing the Fat with, uh, with Jeff Fisher. You know, I was, uh, I was thinking that also one of the things that I like about uh, playing games and stuff, and you know, we, whatever, whatever games you want to play, is that uh, some games, it's easier than others. You know, you always hear, it's a good time for the family to be around the table and talk. Really, if you're involved in the game, a lot of times you're not talking to the family. I mean, you're not, it's not a, there's a, there's very, you know, there's competition in the games. There's not a lot of time to say, so how was your day? Uh, did you have a good day today? Because you're trying to win the game. I mean, that's the point of the game, to win the game. It's not to, now some people say, oh, Jeff, Jeff, you're supposed to enjoy and be with the family and talk. Yeah, no, not in the game. That's for another time. Maybe that's for setting up the game. Maybe that's for taking down the game, whatever the game is. But when you're in the game, uh, you know, you got you're out to win the game. That's the point. That's why there's winners and losers. But at some point, I know that uh, there's a lot of people worried about uh, I, I'm amazed. I truly am amazed at how many kids get bullied in today's world. It amazes me. I... I I don't understand it, but it's a good time for you to maybe talk to your kids about bullying. And there's also a thing that you can do, uh, an anti-bully pledge that uh, my man uh, Optimus Prime, who uh, takes care of OptimusIsHere.com, is in charge of and is putting together and has been doing and going around to schools all over. And you can get your uh, uh, free anti-bullying message and your cards to uh, do that with whatever group that you're with. Family, a couple of kids, or you know, school, classrooms, whatever it is, just go to optimusishere.com and you can, you know, you'll find it, or you can just want to go to the whole thing. You can go to optimusishere.com slash anti bully pledge and that'll take you directly to it. Or you can just go to optimusishere.com and search around. Duh. Anyway, thanks for listening to Chewing the Fat. I appreciate it and uh, have a great weekend. I, I've got. Well, we could go to a whole bunch of stories if you want. I mean, we talked about games. And we, I mean, we could talk about the big story was the Mattel making the new gender-neutral dolls. Uh, I thought they were all pretty much gender-neutral. You, you dressed them the way you wanted. This is just me. I could put, let's say I put a guy shirt on Barbie. 
I guess it's still Barbie, but it's Barbie in a guy shirt. I mean, I'm not quite sure. It's not quite sure how that's going to work out. But uh, look, they're they're you know they're a private company. They can do what they want. You want to get the gender neutral thirty dollar toy that uh, you know if you want your kids uh, playing with toys that don't dictate what gender they are. Go ahead. It's all you. It's all you. Now, there's going to be six types of those dolls that you're going to be able to get. And I'm sure that everyone's going to buy all six and then not open them because they want to be collector's editions down the road. I'm not saying that you don't believe that these dolls are actually going to help things. (laughs) Wow, that would be just wrong. Each doll includes two hairstyle options, short, long, allowing the kids to style the doll's hair how they wish. The new line is hailed by Let Toys Be Toys. So reduce gender stereotyping in children's products. Ugh. <laughs>